podcast where three lads discuss all things the English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll have a review of the Premier League, including another fantastic North London derby and a record-breaking day for Newcastle. A roundup of wider EFL, including wins for Leicester, Leeds, Portsmouth, Oxford, Knox County and Stockport. And we'll check in with Laurel on his day to the home of Ted Lasso. I'm your host, Alex Murphy. And once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. We'll go straight to the North London derby. Lauro, uh, I think you and Tomo both predicted 3-2. Uh, at one stage, it was looking quite likely, but I uh, I ended up being correct in calling a draw. Well, my prediction was slightly more complex than that, and I think it was quite spot on for the most part. I thought it would be a very good game between two sides and Arsenal would just have too much being at home and, and also the way they're playing. I just think they're a little bit ahead of Tottenham in terms of their team's progression. And it, it did go like that. And the only thing that didn't happen was Arsenal didn't have enough to get that third goal and get the three points. And I think a big thing about that is that we said at the start of the season, we had this conversation on the podcast and we said, is it a problem to have Gabriel Jesus leading the line for Arsenal when he's not a 20, 25 goal a season man? And we said, well, no, because he plays that Firmino role and he brings in Martinelli and Saka, doesn't he? And they can get the goals. And obviously yesterday we had Saka, but we didn't have Martinelli. And then we didn't have Trossard on the left-hand side to come in for him. So all of a sudden the dynamic changes and then Ketia and Jesus both had to play and fine margin clacks. And I think that was probably the fine margin going forward that didn't allow them to go ahead and get that third goal and win the game. I don't want to be uh, disrespectful to Spurs. I, I bet their fans probably think that they could have won the game as well. I thought they were really good. More signs of that character being built into their mentality from Ange Postacoglu and the players in the side. You can tell they believe in what they're doing. When they go a goal down, they came back. When they went two goals down, they were straight back at the other end with a really good um, passing move and Madison finding Son twice in the game. So really good signs for them. Disappointing for Arsenal because I think they will see that as two points dropped. But I do think that was a problem having Martinelli and Trossard both out and um, Jesus and I think there was a couple of times where Inketia maybe could have flung himself a couple of balls across the box and he just didn't have that sort of smell the blood mentality in him to get on the end of things I think Gary Neville alluded it to it, to it as well within his commentary so that was the difference for me but um, you know a great point for Tottenham um, another game in their progression but two points drop for Arsenal for me if they want to be challenging Man City this season Probably. Yeah, completely agree with um, what Laura was saying. I was going to bring up Gabriel Jesus, actually, because I thought um, Arsenal started the game really well, didn't they? And they they looked like they sort of flew out the blocks, completely overwhelmed Tottenham for the first 20, 25 minutes. And then I think the sort of game-changing moment was when um, Gabriel Jesus like pickpocketed um, Madison at the edge of the box and he had a chance to score and he's just got to score that. And if he goes and scores that and makes it 2-0, it's, it's a very long way back for Tottenham. And actually, I did I did a, I had a little look before the podcast about that chance. It, um, that chance, Lauro, yeah, was worth 0.43 XG, which I guess means... It, he had it, half it, a chance. Yeah, so it basically... But an elite striker finishes that and then it, it sort of changes the game for Arsenal's benefit. What I will say... Since Jesus's Premier League debut, so obviously for Man City, he has underperformed his expected goals by 15 more than any other Premier League player. So, to your point, Loro, where will Gabriel Jesus potentially cost them getting to that next level? That's a that's a big stat that backs up that point because he missed he missed. There was I think there was a 
a good, he had a, a sort of a half chance before that. It was a left-footed half volley, Vicario saved really well. And then that chance was the one where you're just looking at it going, go on, like finish your dinner and then it's a different game. Tottenham grew into the game after that. Um, and it was a great assist for Sonny's first goal for James Madison. And I liked his um, little rebuttal of Bukayo Saka's dart celebration. After the game, he said, um, oh, I just got told that Saka did my celebration. Um, it looked like he was still doing that celebration as I as I'd done him for the, um, or as I turned him for the first goal. So it's it's not a nice bit of bite there. And do you know what? Like, I always think about the North London derby. Sometimes like Sky Sports and TNT Sports, they build up these games and they like, they build them up so much. They end up being a bit of a disappointment, but that's never the case with the North London derby. It's always Always delivers. Yes. Always a good game. And it was a great game to watch. Um, Gary Neville mentioned that he thought that Arsenal sort of over-celebrated a little bit and got carried away with that when um, Saka scored their second. And then obviously that may have led to the error straight away that led to um, Tottenham's equaliser. Um, and an, and another point I just wanted to make quickly, and I don't, I don't really like to talk about sort of decisions that affect games, but the penalty decision, it, it, it involved the same player. So Romero handled the ball and... He handled the ball when Garnacho had a shot against um, against Tottenham early on in the season. And for some reason, that wasn't a, a penalty. And then this one was a penalty. And I don't know how Romero can get out, out of the, get out of the way of that. He's like a yard away from him. Unless he's got no hands, unless he's an amputee, there's no way he can get out of the way of that. So I think with that one, though, do you, do you think that it's almost like the Garnacho one, when they're looking at that, all you see is kind of Romero's arm and Garnacho, but with the Arsenal one, I was just watching it, and you can just see the whole goal gaping and Ben White's five yards out rather than Garnacho hitting it from twenty yards. I know it's the penalty area, but I'm trying to think into the mindset of the people making that decision. The Garnacho one's almost like a shot. You don't know whether it's going to be. It looks like it's going to be on target, but you don't know whether it's going to go in. That there for me, I think VAR have looked at that, and maybe this is where you kind of have that human element come into it. That's just going in, isn't it, into an empty net? And then, so my, my point for it is, though, is I know you can't have double jeopardy with penalty and red card for, certain, you know, like a tackle in the box or something like that. But if that's stopping the ball going into the net, is that not a red as well for for that? That denial of a goal scoring opportunity. Yeah, I think that I think there might have been someone on the line, but like that was definitely a penalty, and I ain't got a clue what the rule is now, but it. Even like you're right, he might not be able to get his arm out the way, but that shouldn't be Arsenal's problem. That should be Tottenham's problem. That like, oh, I couldn't get my arm out the way. Well, we that just you've just stopped us having a really good chance slash goal there. So unlucky you couldn't get your arm out the way. No sending off. No double jeopardy. The double jeopardy is there that if you make a challenge in the box and it's a set and it's a penalty, you don't get sent off unless you didn't make um, a, a, a challenge for the ball. Do you know what I mean? If you're just sliding in and the ball's gone, you still can't get sent off. But that there is definitely a penalty. I don't remember the the Romero one against Man United. Obviously, you boys do because it was against your team. But that one there just has prevailed. You can't. It can't. Hit, the ball can't be travelling towards the goal. Hit someone's arm and that stop it going in the goal and not be a penalty. Whether it's unlucky or not, it has to be given. Yeah, my point on that is yeah, you you probably are right, and I'm probably looking too much into it just with the United bias sort of. 
head on. It's just it's just a case of he's like a yard away unless he hasn't got arms. Unless he because it's yeah. not like he's moved his arm to towards the ball or anything like that. He's just got his arms by his side and it hits his arm. Yeah. So I, and I yeah maybe you're right. But so, look, so yeah. what what in that situation the ball has stopped traveling towards the goal. So one of the teams is going to get punished. Either Arsenal don't get to see where that ball goes or Tottenham can see the penalty. And for me. It's unlucky on Tottenham. It shouldn't be unlucky on Arsenal. It's not their fault his hand's there, just as much as it's not Romero's. So, penalty for me. But what the actual rule is, I give up. I don't know. No, I completely agree. I don't know what the rule is. But ju- just to go back to the Garnacho one, I, I think that's a penalty as well. We we were at the pub, Laura, after watching um, uh, Yeovil play. And it was, the, I think it was the 530 yeah. game. And we were all stood there. And it was just, well, that's clearly a pen because it's not down by his side or like a flick on from a header and it's sort of like like got his arm across his face or anything like that. It's like arm out, strikes it, yeah. goal bound. But I, I'm trying to think for the rationale why one's given and one isn't. I just think the camera angle at the Emirates was like the goal is gaping behind and it's four yards out and it looks like it's just going into uh, into an empty net as opposed to Garnacho's was sort of 20 yards out. Romero's just inside the box. You don't really know what's going to go on with the ball, but I do think both are, are pens. Um, another talking point from that game, uh, boys, which is um, a bit of a funny one, is uh, just to get your thoughts on uh, Ramsdale's celebration of the uh, Raya save from Brennan Johnson. Two points on that. Firstly, I think Brennan Johnson's got to bury that. He had so much of the goal to aim for, and he just looked to me like he was trying to get it on target. Um, but once it was on target, and obviously he's put it where it is, what a save from Raya. But uh, Tomo, bit theatrics from Ramsdale or genuine happiness for a teammate? I, I don't, I don't know really. I, I, I think we're all looking a bit too much into it. Like, have you seen um, Ramsdale's dad called um, Carragher a disgrace on Twitter? Um, yeah, he called someone else a prick as well. So yeah, Mister Ramsdale had a glass of vino. No, what re- for what reason? <laughs> Yeah, but listen, look. What end is he calling people pricks? No, basically, people are saying that Ramsdale's just putting on a show and just clapping for the sake of clapping. But what's he supposed to do? Like, yeah, he, he, I guarantee you, he's 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 sat there thinking, oh, there's like a hundred cameras on me right now. Like the amount of times that Sky um, moved their camera to Ramsdale after Raya did something, and actually, I thought that was Raya's worst game for United. Uh, for for United, for um, Arsenal. He obviously made that save, which was world-class. But other than that, he looked dodgy. And yeah. um, and on another, sort of any other club, you wouldn't look too much into it because there's not another, there's not a, a sort of another goalie on the bench like Ramsdale, basically another number one. But at Arsenal, you're looking into absolutely everything they're doing and well, you're surprised, aren't you, that Arteta hasn't subbed Ramsdale on in the 60th minute, considering how his biggest regrets in football are not making substitution of goalkeepers midway through a game. Because you're right, Raya dropped that ball, didn't he, which led to the first goal, the kind of build-up to that before Madison turned him. And yeah, he, he, he didn't look like he had his best game. So surprised at that from Arteta. Yeah, and just before we move on, I just wanted to mention um, Eves Basuma, because I thought yeah. he was absolutely world-class and... I think we spoke quite uh, like early on in the summer when we started the podcast about him and about his potential for Spurs. He had a, I know he had a poor season last year, but mainly that seems to be obviously Tottenham were poor. He had injury issues, um, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, didn't maybe not, didn't settle into the club as well as you'd like. And Postecoglou's come in and he's just got the best out of him. 
And it's, it's almost like a new signing. And he looks like the best. Well, he looks like up there with like Rodri as the best DM in the um in the league at the minute on form. He just looks class. There was there was a, a bit at the um sort of 85th minute where he was under pressure from like three Arsenal players and he just dribbled through them all, carried the ball all the way up to the sort of the last third of the pitch and played a ball and got Tottenham on the pitch. And that's exactly what you need when you're under pressure at the Emirates. It's two all and you just need a calm, composed head in centre mid who can do that. And I wish United had him. He's unbelievable. He is. He's been brilliant this season and he's got those sort of athletic attributes to be able to carry the ball forward. But he, you could really see him in the second half. And I think we haven't mentioned yet, Declan Rice obviously had to come off at halftime yesterday and there was a big kind of shift in momentum, I think, with Tottenham being able to overrun Arsenal a little bit more in midfield and get a lot more joy. So I hope that, I don't know what the injury is there, but hopefully it's not too um, not too serious for Declan Rice because that would be a big miss. As soon as they brought Jorginho on, it was a bit of a different game. Yeah, yeah so no. go on, just on that... Um... I, uh, the Mail just did a story basically saying that they expect him to be back for the City game, which is like two weeks. So that does mean he's going to miss three games. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Arsenal cope without him because, like you say, he's been an, he's been a monster in, he, in that in that midfield this season. Well, that that actually is uh, is a good point, Tom. I've I've got the fixtures for both sides here, and I, I was going to bring up a different point, which we'll come on to, but. Actually, if he's back for the City game in the Prem, the games that he does miss are Brentford away in the Carabao Cup, Bournemouth away in the Prem, and then uh, Lons away in France in the Champs League. So, I mean, you probably don't want Declan Rice out for any games, but if they get him back for that Man City game, which Rodri will miss and obviously will come on to that, that's probably a, a big, big, big bonus for Arsenal to have him back. But... Um, couple of other potential injuries there. So Madison, it looked really bad, didn't it? That sort of knee, it looked like, it reminded me a bit of like the Zlatan and Van der Beek from United kind of, and I think Kurt Zuma did it as well. That sort of knee inverts and looks like a bad one. I think I even put in the in our WhatsApp that that looked like a bad one and Gary Neville said the same, but he went on to play, but apparently has felt some discomfort. And also Saka came off injured as well. Um, looked like sort of got caught on the leg or, or got trapped under someone else and, and caught his leg. Um, both might be going to have scans, but they're probably the most influential players for both of them. So if both players, uh, both teams have sort of dropped a couple of points and both of those were out for any sort of period of time, then that would be bad news for, for both clubs, actually. And just and just on Madison, they play Liverpool next Saturday at 5.30, which is an absolutely massive game. Another massive game. Spurs have looked great, haven't they? And, and even though they didn't get the win um, at the Emirates, it's a positive result, uh, especially with coming back from um, going behind twice. But that I that knee injury just looked to me like he, there's no way he can play on Saturday. I just yeah. I can't see it to be honest. And, and it'll be interesting to see how Spurs get on. I think it's at Spurs, so home advantage and that. But um, be interesting to see how they got on without Madison if if he does miss the game, because it did look like a, a, a naughty one, nasty one. And we've spoken before about how we don't really know who replaces him, do we? In that Tottenham team, like for like. I mean, is it La Celso? I mean, it's a big downgrade. And it's a big game, that Liverpool one. You don't have the sort of ferocity of the North London derby. That's to settle back into the Premier League. How do you shape up against Liverpool, who look like a genuine top three side? So if they're without Madison, 
um, you know, another hurdle for Postacoglu to overcome, which I'm sure he'll do. But be interesting to see how it, how it pans out. So, Laurie, just to go back to the fixtures. So, Arsenal, I've already said, Brentford, Bournemouth, Lons away, two in the cup, one in the Prem, but then Man City home and then Chelsea away. Um, Tottenham don't have those sort of cup distractions, some might call them, some other people would say nice distractions, but they, they've just got league fixtures, really. Liverpool home, but then Luton away, Fulham home, Palace away and Chelsea home. If they get a result against Liverpool, they're, joint, they're both on 14 points, Arsenal and Tottenham. But if Tottenham go and get a result against Liverpool and then go into that stretch of easy fixtures... I mean, we might get through to the October international break and the other side of it and Spurs be right right up there. What What's your thoughts on sort of, I know Big Ange just said not to stop dreaming. What's your thoughts on uh, on what they'll be looking for? Well, I don't want to get too excited, but Ange has told us that we can from a sort of casual Tottenham fan this season. I just think the sky's the limit. Sometimes that I did have Tottenham as fourth this season because of that non-European excursion that they they won't be I mean like Madison for instance if you're one of your most influential players is quite injury player and it's good that he's not going to be playing Saturday Wednesday Saturday Wednesday it's good that he can just concentrate on the Premier League football and for Tottenham I think it's one game at a time and just keep checking off those milestones those points that they never had before like I said coming from behind playing a better brand of football then coming from behind twice and getting a point at Emirates where they probably would have crumbled last season now they've got to go and play Liverpool, a big club that isn't in the uh, that isn't a North London derby. And then if they get past that and they've got a run of games that they're expected to win, can they handle that pressure on them? And if they do hit, not the top because Man City won't lose, but if they do hit, you know, dizzy heights, can they stay there? So we'll just have to see. But it's a new new team and a new kind of aura at the club, and we'll just see how far it can go. But I'm, yeah, I think it's a good point that Angie's probably quite happy he doesn't have the European distraction this year, so he can just get his feet under the table, sort everything out, concentrate on the league, and then see where they can get to. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll keep an eye on uh, on Spurs because, as I say, their fixtures are looking quite tasty and no distractions, so it wouldn't surprise me to see them up and amongst it uh, in a couple months' time. Boys, we move on. Um, Tomo, I'll come to you. So the second half of Super Sunday, I was pretty fuming about and we spoke about annoying that it was on TV but turned out to be a, a bit of a goal first albeit one-sided uh, Sheffield United nil Newcastle eight and eight different scorers yeah yeah one of those games where if you're a Sheffield United fan Jesus Christ absolutely day ruiner weekend ruiner um, yeah but do you know what Actually, they didn't start the game that bad, to be fair. And then Harvey Barnes got an injury and Anthony Gordon come on and he just, like, he changed the game. And he, he looked absolutely class. Um, he's had a good start to the season, isn't he? I think he had a pretty slow start to his Newcastle career. I think I remember at one stage last year he got he got subbed and kicked off to Eddie Howe and he's he's a bit of a petulant sort of emotional player. So I wasn't... 100% convinced about him but he had he had a good summer with the um under 21s and he's and he's sort of taken that good confidence and good form into the season with Newcastle um but that game I was watching it and basically I was just thinking I don't have Kieran Tripp here I'm absolutely fuming and he obviously got the hat trick of assists which um I think yeah here's one stat for you which opt to put out um Kieran Tripp here is only the second player in Premier League history to assist three-headed goals in a single game. 
Can you name the other one? Say that again. Kieran Trippier is the only the second player in Premier League history to assist three-headed goals in a single game. Can you name the De other Bruyne. one? No, you'll never get it. And I'll, I'll David Beckham. It's Jason Punchen <laughs> for Palace against West Ham in February 2015. But yeah, Trippier looked class. And obviously, he just... Um, he had a great game, didn't he, in Milan in the San Siro, and, and he looked great again. Um, Callum Wilson started the game ahead of Isak and continues a good goal-scoring form. I think he's got 15 goals in his last 18 Premier League games. And we spoke before, didn't we, about... I've, I felt that Isak probably is a better all-round footballer than Wilson, but there's no denying that Wilson's a better goal-scorer. So it'll be interesting to see how that one goes forward. But And, and Laura, I think you've mentioned quite a lot before about Eddie Howe seems to have got that dynamic between Isak and Wilson, right? Whereas, and Will, and obviously Isak come off the bench and scored, but um, Wilson mentioned after the game that he, was, he wasn't too happy to be on the bench at the San Siro after scoring last week. But then he said, look, all you, all you can do is stay professional, train hard and score when you get the chance. And it must be such a dream to be a manager for someone like Wilson because he never... Like obviously he says he's unhappy that he doesn't play all the time, but he he always like comes on and does well, doesn't he? And and he just seems like the sort of ultimate professional. And yeah, it's a great week for Newcastle, wasn't it? Well, you've missed a tap in Teagal because a couple of weeks ago you told me that Sheffield United had the worst expected xG against them, and I rubbished you at the door. And yesterday they've they've conceded eight and lost eight nil. So I was. I was half expecting to have to defend myself there, but I'm glad I haven't. But <laughs> I am very embarrassed because on the last podcast, I actually said that I thought that would be a tough game for Newcastle. I thought coming off the back of a tiring experience in Milan that you well, looked to have taken quite a lot out of them. And then to go to Bramwell Lane against a Paul Heckenbottom side where the managers come under some sudden pressure, I thought his team might sort of pull together and produce a performance. But... I would go as far as to say as I think that's the worst Premier League performance I have ever seen. They just weren't even they just weren't there. It was like they went on the pitch. Everything Newcastle did, they just seemed to have acres and acres of space. And it was like they were just playing against no one. It was an absolute field day, eight different scorers. Um and look, you can credit Newcastle and Eddie Howe, but it feels like anyone would have won eight nil there yesterday. I thought that was absolutely disgraceful from Sheffield United, and obviously they're going to have a big job on their hands to bounce back straight away because it was a bit humiliating. But you're right, Eddie Howe has mastered that dynamic of rotating the squad well. And I think when when Callum Wilson said he's he's not happy about being on the bench, he's not saying he's not happy. You know, full stop. It's just, of course, if you're a top level athlete, you want to be playing every game. It would be wrong for him to be happy to be on the bench. But he's every time one of them's on the bench, the other one comes on and scores, and vice versa. And Isaac started against AC Milan. Wilson started yesterday. They both scored. And as long as Eddie Hell keeps off, he won't always have the luxury. At some point, someone will get injured. Wilson likes an injury. Isaac probably will as his career goes on. So it's just whilst they're both fit, rotating them and getting the best out of them. And Eddie Hell is is doing that very well. So. Yeah, great performance from Newcastle, but, you know, absolutely rubbish. Rubbish from Sheffield United and a real worrier for Paul Heckenbottom. So I'll I'll come back on to Sheffield United um, to have a talk about, about them, their manager and, and their general performances. But just back to the Newcastle point and in particular about Wilson and Isaac. So their next three fixtures is they've got Man City in the Carabao Cup, 
which you won't be surprised to know is on TV on Wednesday. Uh, Newcastle back on TV. Then they've got Burnley <laughs> in the Prem. Uh, and then they've got PSG in the Champs League at home. Now, if you're just doing, this is a bit, you know, simple maths, but if you go going Isaac to start against City and then Wilson back in for Burnley, then Isaac back in for PSG. Kind of looks like from Wilson's point of view, he's getting the short end of the stick there, isn't he, with Sheffield United and Burnley Prem and, and but, Isaac in the Man City and PSG games. Can I just can I just say, I actually think Lauren made a good point there about Wilson's injuries and like... He has been injury prone throughout throughout his career, so I can't I couldn't see Wilson be like managing the load of three three starts a week. Could you without getting injured? So actually, yeah. and the fact that now they're in the Champions League, so they've got the European games coming up. It's it's good for Eddie Howe that he can keep them both happy because your your the games are coming thick and fast. And I agree with you. Yeah, Wilson will want to. We'll definitely want to start against PSG. It's at St. James's Park as well, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, I think he he mentioned PSG, actually. He said he definitely wants to play that game in his podcast. But but that's the sort of the luxury of having so many games that, that those two players won't be happy that they're on the bench for some games, but they'll be happy enough at the club, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's the point, though, that I think you're saying, isn't it, Murph? Like that PSG home game particularly, whoever starts for Newcastle that day, that's Eddie Howe's best 11, isn't it? And you can sort yeah. of see from that, you know, who he fancies. Not who he doesn't fancy, but who he fancies as his first 11. And I think um, just preempting that, it's like you feel like it's going to be Isaac, which is probably why we all feel that Isaac's, or a lot of people have the idea that Isaac's slightly better than Wilson. But I do think they're quite different players but they're both very good strikers but like you say Wilson's a very good goal scorer and I think Isaac's more of a sort of um wiry raw striker with with lots more to go because he's still young but um yeah you know Wilson will want to start that PSG game and unfortunately unless there's an injury I don't think he will but you never know you would have thought they'd have played their best team against AC Milan and Jacob Murphy ended up starting on the wing so room for optimism but um yeah we'll, we'll just have to see how, how that unfolds but I doubt anyone's going to care about the Carabao Cup against Man City wouldn't surprise me if both of them were hoping they're on the bench for that. Yeah. Yeah, true. True enough. I think that, I think it's, you say, Wilson said about wants to start the PSG game. I think on his podcast, he then also, I think, calls Eddie Howe daddy in it as well. So you're saying that Howe must be, think it's an absolute pleasure to have Wilson playing for him. But if one of your players is calling you daddy on a podcast. Yeah, he doesn't call him. He doesn't call him daddy, does he? That's Antonio. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, well, Antonio's just as bad. He's there saying, we'll come on to that. He's saying that I think I've got Liverpool's number and that we're going to finish above Liverpool. But yeah, that I manage the managers. I imagine the managers probably listen to that podcast tearing their hair out thinking, for God's sake, chaps. But yeah, uh, what great time to be Newcastle fan. Anyway, look at the conversations we're having where, where they don't care about Man City in the cup. They got PSG in the Champs League and they're worried about which one of their two elite strikers are starting in games and most happy with 8-0 wins. So, dreamland for the Magpies. On the other hand, Sheffield United, um, I think we've all spoke about, haven't we, now? Uh, we all probably thought Burnley were going to do better, but the three promoted sides look absolutely abject. Don't look like they can buy a win and we'll come on to Luton and uh, Burnley results moving forward. I've just been looking while you guys are chatting at Sheffield United's fixtures coming up. West Ham away, tricky. Fulham away, one they've probably got to go and win. Man United at home, 
should be tricky. Arsenal away. It's just not looking good for them, is it? And Heckenbottom's obviously just had that defeat. We've had conversations about Wilder being in the stands before, but surely something's going to have to change for them soon, Laura. Yeah, I mean, after that performance yesterday, I don't I think they're hopeless. I don't think they've got hope in hell. I mean, coming into the season, I thought they were the worst squad on paper. They made a couple of good late signings with Hamer and Archer, and they've had some decent-ish performances. Not well-beaten, but better than what we were thinking. But, nah, no chance. Just that the Premier League is so strong. And there's a we'll, we'll probably speak about a couple of teams later that I think are a bit of a myth that could be down there. But um, Sheffield United, absolutely hopeless. No hope. Don't see it now. Same with same with Lou and who we'll speak about later. But sorry, I don't I can't offer any words of encouragement after that performance yesterday. I've just watched it back on Match of the Day Two again. I, I honestly cannot believe it. I would be so angry if I was a blade. Yeah, it's looking pretty bad, as you say, after what was potentially not not well beaten, as you say, but hopeful performances against Spurs, Everton and City. Um but yeah, that was abject. Guys, we move on to another side who can't buy a win, uh, but slightly more expensive in uh, in terms of squad. Uh, Chelsea, I think all three of us actually said it was just a complete Villa win. It was half a Loro's double, which I lost a tenner on um, with the West Ham Liverpool draw. But Villa went and won away at Stamford Bridge uh, to nobody's surprise. Nicholas Jackson has managed to achieve something in regards to getting five bookings and then will now miss the derby against... Fulham with a one-match suspension six games into the season. But what a terrible time to be a Chelsea fan, Tomo. Yeah, it's depressing. And it's depressing to be a United fan. And I was with um, Prescott yesterday, a Chelsea fan, our Chelsea fan mate. And honestly, he, he is like, there's no hope. And that's the thing about football. All you want to do is go into weekends and have a bit of hope. Um but Chelsea's biggest problem is sticking the ball in the back of the net. We spoke about it, haven't we, before? Um, Nico Jackson just looks like he he doesn't look like it's there. I don't think it will ever be there. Um, Raheem Sterling's never been the best finishing, is he? Obviously, City and Pep turned him, turned him into a bit of a back post merchant where he was getting tappings quite a lot, but he's never really been a great finisher. And obviously, Mudrick... I mean, he's got eight years to settle into Chelsea, but so hope you're looking like hopefully he will he will get that get there some sometime in the future. But he's not looking like it at the minute. Um, yeah, it's disappointing for Chelsea. But what 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 can you say about that about that game? Right, so it's it's the first time in thirty years that Villa have um, beaten Chelsea twice in a row in the league. Um, we all predicted it, didn't we, before the game? It's Chelsea's worst start to a season after six matches since 1978. Um, uh, just a little FPL point, Ben Chilwell. On the bench again, brought on again and booked again. Absolutely. And missed a big, big chance as well. Yeah, and he missed the sitter, didn't he? So, but you'd, I'll just... The Ben Chilwell on the bench thing doesn't make any sense to me. It's, it's strange. I know Colwell's done really well um, this season, but just Chilwell just is like one of the best left backs in the league. Just don't overthink it, Potch, and just start him. Um, yeah, it's looking long, isn't it, for Chelsea fans? I, there's not really much to add, to be honest. They've got Brighton next as well, which um, I think that's in the cup, isn't it, though? So, But yeah, it's not looking good. 
No, we've spoken long and hard about Nicholas Jackson not being the goal scorer, and we nipped that in the bud a while ago. But this is going on. It's not. It can't just be him. I mean, yeah, he's missing chances. But what about like like Conor Gallagher, for instance, who starts every week? When he was at Palace, he was always good for a goal or an assist or a good bit of play. What like Enzo? Are you going to score? Sterling a brace at the start of the season. That doesn't mean you can go to sleep for the next five six games, especially when you've got a striker that you know is struggling to put the ball in the back of the net. They've got to come from other areas. And it, they're just, it's just not happening from Budrich, Enzo, Sterling, Gallagher, none of them. And Ben Chilwell, I thought, looked like their best attacker at the start of the season, minus that ridiculous chance he missed against Luton. Um, but it wasn't a double. I told everyone to cash out of the Chelsea, of the uh, Liverpool-West Ham draw and put it all on Aston Villa to win. And I thought a moment that ironically summed it all up was Ollie Watkins got put through and finished from a tight angle, which was a very good finish. And that's exactly the chance that Nicholas Jackson keeps on getting and keeps on either fluffing into the stands. I mean, did you see that meme that went out on Twitter last week? And it was Nicholas Jackson against Bournemouth taking yeah. a shot. And yeah, they kept yeah. rewinding it and just making the goal bigger. And they ended up making the goal bigger by something like 375 times. And it finally crept in at the near post. And I think that <laughs> sums everything up. Couple that with... Um, talk sport talking about what relegation looks like for Chelsea today and it's just miserable and I've, I've got the team up in front of me now and it just looks, I mean Thiago Silva I think he's planning in his, his 40th birthday now, I genuinely think it's his 40th coming up, put Colwell in the middle, play Chilwell and just add some something's got to give there and they've got to start finding something from somewhere and I think Ben Chilwell, you know he, there's got to be more to him than coming on for 10 minutes and get booked so I get no points on fantasy football Get him back in the side and, God, I mean, how far away is Nkuku? He needs to come back soon. and Or, if not, January and a, and a big striker. I think Tegel thinks Tony might be going there. So, maybe that's what you're putting your hand up for. But, yeah, they're, they're an absolute disgrace in the minute. Just just a quick couple of stats on that as well. So, um, the combined centre-mid partnership of um, Boubacar Kamara and Douglas Louise was 15 million quid. And the combined um, centre-mid partnership of Enzo... And um, Kai Sado was 220 million. And I think Enzo now has lost 15 of his last 29 games for Chelsea. And it's looking like, and let's put it right. In, in, in that sort of scenario, are the Villa players 10 times worse than those Chelsea players? Not at all. So there's a massive Chelsea tax on these useless owners. Um, they're getting overcharged for absolutely everyone and the owners are just saying, yeah, fuck it, we'll pay it. Um, and it's also, I guess it's a um, a sign of good coaching, isn't it? Like Kamara, um, Kamara and Douglas Louise have looked really good in, in the centre of, of midfield for Villa alongside McGinn. I think they play like a little bit of a box midfield now, don't they? And um, yeah, I, I was a little bit nervous, to be honest. After Villa lost... Um, on Thursday in Poland, I was a little bit nervous about how they would react, but yeah, Chelsea looked terrible and can't see them um, getting European football again this season. No, they. I definitely don't think they will, um, which is obviously not that big of a statement considering they're on five points from six games, but I look at their team and it just, as we've just said, it just doesn't even look that great. Villa's team looks better. You then look at who Villa brought off the bench. They brought off Leon Bailey, Den Donker, this Duran, Jacob Ramsey, Yuri Tielemans. And then Chelsea are bringing off Brozier, Chilwell, Cole Palmer, Anugo Chukwu, who I'm sure are all promising bright youngsters other than Chilwell. But 
it's just stale and dour for them. They've um, just got the balance wrong, haven't they? They've just yeah. got the balance completely wrong. Yeah, and their owner's obviously gone all in on potential future superstars in the hope that they're going to gel and hit the ground running straight away. But they need to go... What they need to do is rather than sign the next two players for 80 to 100 million, is take that 160 million and buy five or six, like, or four or five top pros from the Prem that are just proven Prem 27, 28-year-olds. But who's going to sign for them and who's going to accept those bids from Chelsea now? I think there's a problem there because from what I understand, a lot of these um, eight-year contracts are being put into place to combat financial fair play and so they can be booked sort of over the course of eight years whereas if you sign a and you can do that if you're signing a young player because there could feasibly be eight years worth of sort of career progression but if you sign a 28 29 30 year old that's at the top of their game now you can't do that eight-year contract you can't give a 30 year old an eight-year contract can you you can only give them a couple of years and all of a sudden that goes back into the financial financial fair play so maybe they've made a bit of a rod for their own back in terms of the way they've set it up logistically and financially, that they have to sign these young players and hope they hit the ground running. Do you know what I mean? You, w- you wouldn't be able to go and buy Bruno Fernandes now on an eight-year contract. It would be absolutely ridiculous. It would be yeah. depreciation. Whereas if you sign Lavia, Caicedo, et cetera, et cetera, there's a good chance and a feasibility that they could be worth more in eight years' time and they can be balanced and split into eight rather than looking like you've booked 80 million this summer. It could be 10 million for the next... Eight summers. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. That's what the amortization is is there to do, right? It's like you, you can then do the transfer money across the span of that contract. So if you pay it, let's just say eighty million for say Sado, that's in your financial books ten million for the next eight years. And then if you sell them in five years' time for a hefty profit, you bank all of that money straight away in fees coming in, and then you just pay off the rest of the three years. But I just look at this Chelsea situation. This might be a bit dramatic, but if these players are just not ending up being that good, you know, if Sosedo doesn't pick up his Brighton form, if Enzo decides he wants to leave because he genuinely looks class, Mudrick doesn't look that good. Some of these other players aren't that good. But then you can't ship them out because they're on eight-year deals on massive wages. Like, And then the owners get bored at Chelsea. There, there must be real concerns in amongst their fans about long-term repercussions for Chelsea. And they obviously can't, their business model isn't set up to not have European football or not been selling out Stamford Bridge every season or every game. So I, I, if I was a Chelsea, it's not great being a United fan, but if I was a Chelsea fan, I'd be so worried about them. Just one talking point from that game before we move on. Uh, Tomo, the red card, Malo Gusto. Do you think that was a red? Uh, not really, no. And do you know what made me think it wasn't? was just the fact that um, when you slow like those kind of incidents down as, as like into slow mo like they do it, it makes it look ten times worse. But I think the ref gave a yellow card straight away, didn't he? And um, and it, it didn't seem like there was that much sort of uproar and oh, it's definitely a red ref. But yeah, I didn't think it was one. But I mean the. It's not something really I would complain about too much. If it was a United, if it was like Diogo Della, I'd be fuming. But uh, it is one of those things. That's that's the thing with VAR. They look, they slow things down, make them look like 10 times worse. It's the same with the handball incidents. They slow them down and then it's just like, well, yeah, obviously it looks like a handball when it's slowed down like that. But but players can't react. Like, Do you know what I mean? It's just, 
I'm not yeah. a big fan of VAR and slowing things down. I've just watched that red card, and you're exactly right. Like in in normal time, the ref's right; it's a yellow card. It doesn't look like a red at all. And then as soon as it's slowed down, all the context goes out of it, and it's just a set of studs on an ankle. Yeah, and it's like is that a red card then, ref? Well, no, no. The speed of it matters, and the the context of the move and how he arrived matters. So, absolutely yeah. right. So I nothing absolutely to add, really. Those. Probably a yellow card. I absolutely hate those still frames of red cards. Uh, Casemiro got sent off in against Southampton last year, where the build-up to that is like he touches the ball and then it flies his foot up in the air, but the still shot is just him nailing someone straight yeah. across the tibia and fibula, and it's like, well, off you go, Casemiro. That's a straight red. But yeah, and it worked just VAR for you. I actually thought the Inketia one was more of a, a red than that. He's he completely away from the ball. I know they said that the studs didn't touch the leg and that was the saving grace, but I thought he just chopped through the keeper. So I thought that was more of a red, but just inconsistencies in that. Uh, boys, moving on. So um, one of the biggest shocks of the weekend, probably, uh, Everton going and winning at Brentford and winning quite handsomely. So Decore, Tarkowski and Calvert-Lewin uh, scoring for Everton and Jensen had equalised for Brentford. But... Uh, Laurie, what a result for, for the Toffees. Yeah, credit where it's due. And th- look, Everton do have that in them. We, I mean, we must have mentioned the Brighton 5-0 win about 20 times on this podcast. And it's about being able to repeat it and repeat it. So we'll see how they go on and pick up points from here. But yeah, we do have to give them credit because Brentford are a side that are at least perceived to be a very good Premier League one. And generally, they do pick up some good results and they're hard to beat. And I just think that the way they set up at the moment... I would say is like a 4-4-1-1. And their wingers, like I think James Garner played on the right. And you've got Dwight McNeil that was never very good in terms of output for assists and goals. And then you've got Madrissa um, guy and Onana sat behind Decore. So Decore, who sort of in his Watford days is more of a, an 8, maybe even a 6, becomes a 10. And there's so much reliance on him to create or score or make stuff happen because you've got your man Beto up front who you know, is a lovely guy, but Beto's come in and I don't think he's a, a footballer for me. And that's not going to happen every single week. What I will say is when you can bring Dominic Calvert-Lewin into the fold, they're a completely different team. Completely different team. He can occupy centre-backs. He can make runs into channels. He's good in the air. He can finish off chances and he gives the opposition something to think about. And I, I guarantee you when an opposition team line up against Everton and they see Beto up front, the centre-back straight away thinking, right, we're going to command this game. When they're seeing Calvert-Lewin, they're thinking, right, we're in for a bit of a handful this afternoon. So the key for Everton is absolutely keeping him fit. The key, particularly as Sean Dyche is their manager and he likes to play with like a focal point up front and maybe bang balls into him, etc., and take a little bit of the pressure off of whoever's playing in the number 10 role, particularly if it's Decore, who isn't really a number 10. He's more of a... He does score goals, but arriving from midfield rather than actually having the onus on him to create everything. But I've hounded and um, been very negative about Everton this year, and that was a great win. So we'll see how they go from here. They need to. It's not good enough just to have one every ten games. They need to go and start picking up points now. So we'll see how they build on it. But um, yeah, a good win for them, three-one, and I think it's fantastic to see Calvert Lewin back because he's a great Premier League striker who can score lots of goals for them. Tomo, looking at Everton's fixtures uh, coming up, they got Villa in the EFL Cup, but in the Prem, they've got Luton at home and Bournemouth at home as their next two before Merseyside derby. But Sean Dyche must be looking at that with Luton and Bournemouth and thinking, if we can get a couple wins there, three in a row, that suddenly takes the pressure off of him and uh, might just get, get Everton's season properly going. 
Yeah, hundred percent. They've. Do you know what? With Everton, I don't actually think for the first couple of the games of the season, I don't actually think they were that bad. Um, and they just need, like you say, like like Laura said, they just need a striker. And we spoke. We obviously spoke a lot about Beto. He had a good chance in this game, and um, he fluffed his lines, which is worrying. Um, as a big Beto fan, as I am, um, he's got a bit of a. He's got a touch of the Nico Jackson about him. But obviously, if DCL comes back in, they'll look good. And that Luton, that Luton game looks just like three points easy. Bournemouth will be a tricky game, but if they can win there, then they go to the Merseyside derby against Liverpool, albeit at Anfield, but full of confidence with three, like with three on the bounce. So, yeah, look, it was it was a really good win. It was it was one of those games though where you just think, was it Brentford being bad and Everton being good? And there's probably somewhere in the middle where. Um, Everton probably weren't as good as they like sort of Brentford made them look obviously Tarkovsky did really well against his old club got an assist and a goal and he's and, been really good this season yeah and he defended really, really he defended really well and I just want to so obviously you spoke about those those two home fixtures Murph what are we thinking about FPL 4.4 million Luton at home Bournemouth at home it's good for Tarkovsky and obviously he's a he's a Big threat on set pieces, which we all know Sean Dice, um, Sean Dice loves. So I'm thinking about bringing Big James into my FPL team. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people in FPL are bringing Morris in, aren't they, from Luton, the striker, because he's on pens and they've got a double game week with Everton and Burnley. So um, if I do bring Morris in, then I would say everyone get James Tarkowski in because it will be clean sheet. Uh, guaranteed. Um, yeah, he's got a double game week, Carlton Morris, but he still plays for Luton. Yeah, I know. I, mean, I, th- I thought that. Get carried away. Yeah. So, but no, great result for the Toffees. Um, I think I actually think I know that they they do play sometimes some horrible football, and we spoke about they got their new stadium coming, and and it doesn't look good for them. But they're proper prem side, aren't they? Like in regards to stature. So if they start getting a, a run of results together, I think I'd back them to pull clear of those uh, teams that came up from the championship. Tomo, you mentioned the Merseyside derby that's coming up pretty soon. Um, the other half of that, Liverpool. Um, West Ham at home. Both teams played Thursday night in Europe. Uh, thought that potentially could be a bit of a uh, a tricky one uh, with, with Loro thinking the draw likely. But Liverpool, great start continues. They're forward scoring. Uh, what was it, Salah, Nunes and Jota, uh, they're really starting to pick up the pace now. Yeah, yeah. They look like, to me anyway, so far this season, it looks like Liverpool, the, the whole Liverpool-City rivalry um, could be back on because they look really good. It was a tough game for them, tough fixture. I thought West Ham did really well, to be honest, in the first half. I think Antonio missed an absolute sitter. And I think we'll come on to what he said before the before the game on the podcast, where he said that that like he fancied West Ham to beat them. Um, one thing I did notice was obviously Salah, Diaz, and Nunes started the game, which I think I said a couple of podcasts ago that that I think that will be their start in front three going forward. Um, and Liverpool looked good to be fair; they looked dangerous. Their xG for the game was three point nine three. Obviously, got the three goals. Um, that Dominic Shabozlai looks like the real deal, doesn't he? And yeah. obviously Alexis McAllister, he's had a bit of a slower start to his Liverpool career, um, but he got a great assist here, didn't he, for Nunes? Um, 
so he's settling in well. Liverpool, yeah, it's looking it's looking like they're sort of they're back to their maybe not back to the heights of a couple of seasons ago, but they're definitely on the way to getting back to their best. And obviously Mo Salah, we can talk about him. He's he's either scored or assisted in his in 14 consecutive Premier League games. So looks like an absolute banker for an FPL shout, doesn't he? Um what Mo Salah? Yeah, yeah. that Mo Salah, yeah, 12.5 mil. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like so no one's had him though, have they? Everyone since Haaland's come in last year. Salah was like, you might have Salah and Kane, but Haaland, people don't seem to have had Salah this year with Haaland. Uh, I don't I don't know whether it's because Liverpool was so bad last year, but Salah's not in many teams, is he? Like, if you can get the budget together to get Salah in, then he just consistently churns through points, doesn't he? Yeah, he's class. And um, and also Darwin Nunes, I just wanted to mention him as well. Like, I swear to God, he is the same player in every single game. Like, he missed a couple absolute sitters in this game, which he seems to always do. And then he scored an absolute worldie. Like, he's yeah. just... He looks like an absolute nightmare to defend against. And we always say it, and we always say it, and I'm going to carry on saying it. He looks like, at some point, he is just going to go on, like, an unbelievable scoring run. Um, because he's just got something about him that I really like. I don't know why. He's obviously a Liverpool player, but... Yeah, they they look really good. Um, obviously got Tottenham in, in next week, which is a big game. If they can win that at um obviously at Tottenham, then title contenders. I don't know what it is. I just still I'm trying to put my finger on what it is. I don't trust them. I, like you just said, I think that City Liverpool rivalry could be back on. I don't think that's even in question. I don't think they're anywhere near that. And I don't know why. They've had a really good start to the season. I was going to say that you can't trust them at the back, but they've only conceded five goals, which is the second best behind City in the league. And they've got, like, I mean, there's a conversation to be had about Salah being underrated now. Like, he's one of the best players we've ever seen, ever seen in the Premier League. And he continues to do it year on, year out. And it may be the introduction of Erling Haaland into the Premier League has sort of diluted the attention on him. But I think Salah was still up there, right up there with the top goal scorers in the Premier last season. And you're right, he's just not spoken about as much. But if you've got him in your team, you're always going to have a chance. And you're also right about Nunes because he misses the easy chances and scores the, the hard ones, doesn't he? But that's... We talked about him being chaotic before. That's part of his, like, thrill. Like, he's so erratic. But that erraticness makes him score those hard chances like yesterday when it just came over the top and he sort of flung a boot at it and it went past the keeper into the top corner. I'd rather my strikers score them. They've got plenty of good attackers there that can score tap-ins and stuff. And yeah, I'm glad to see Nunez start with um, with that front three like you spoke about, Tigo. I think that's the, the most exciting and exhilarating front three. And then you've still got your yachters, etc. to come off the bench. So yeah, impressive again from Liverpool, but I'm still waiting for that bump in the road. I don't know where it's going to come or what it's going to look like, but I just... I just don't see him as title challengers, um, but I'd like to be proven wrong because I like when, when Liverpool are at full throttle, they're a really good watch. Just on West Ham, actually, because um, obviously a lot of Liverpool love in there, really. But actually, there was a, a point when it was one all when James Ward Prowse whipped in a cross and laid it on a plate for Bowen to get a, his second headed goal of the game, yeah. and he just heads it straight in the ground. And and those are the type of moments that that sort of separate your West Ham's from your Liverpool's because because West Ham did create some chances and obviously if you go to Anfield you've just got to take them aren't you otherwise you will get beat and they did get beat but West Ham looked good um obviously was it did Kudus did he get a couple of goals in the week he come on didn't he um 
at Anfield, but he got a couple of goals in Europe. I'm look I'm looking forward to seeing him cement his place in that team. I'm I'm pretty sure he'll probably play either. I'm just trying to think: would he play instead of Antonio or or in behind? He's striker, is he? Yeah, he kind of can play sort of anywhere across the front the front line. Um, so I'm Kudos looking forward. To him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him play. On on that Liverpool point, though, Laurie, you said that they're not quite up there with City at the minute, and I agree with you. But their next three Premier League games are Spurs away, then Brighton and Everton. Um, and if they can get three three wins there, then then they're definitely right up there. Um, it's just it's just how good City are. It's a bit depressing, isn't it? But yeah, you'd like to think there'd be a good title race if if Liverpool can get back to their best. Yeah, just before we finish on Liverpool, Laura, I think what you're what you're thinking that there's just something not quite right. I think it is, even though they've only conceded five, they they like went one nil down against Bournemouth, didn't they? And they had like that Suchek header, which was an unreal save from Allison. Um, there were shouts for a West Ham penalty, wasn't there? There was the Boeing goal. There was the point that Tomo said where Bowen had another header that went straight at Allison. I just think that they're not well they are miserly at the back because they've only conceded five but they seem to always Liverpool of old didn't even seem to like Give have chances chance against them did they like it was an absolutely massive thing about who was going to be the first person to dribble, pa- uh, dribble past Van Dyke, and now they just tend to concede goals and last year they were in more sort of 4-3 3-2 thrillers and sometimes on the wrong side whereas they don't seem to be conceding those goals but they're still just a little bit of a soft underbelly there um but if they get through those next three games you just spoken about tomo then we'll have to have some more serious conversations about them right probably the first time in pod history boys we're nearly an hour in and we've not mentioned man united in any detail but we will quickly touch on them because uh i actually called on the pod that what united were absolutely desperate for was just a one two nil victory against Burnley no real kind of talking points no big news stories coming out of it um I was pretty worried Tom when the team sheet came out I must admit I saw Hannibal Lindelof Evans and thought this is going to be a long night and in parts you know it wasn't the perfect finished article in parts it didn't look great but a much needed three points a much needed three points indeed but um not a very good performance. I thought we looked terrible. And Lauro, I know you're going to have a go at me for being so negative about United after after a 1-0 win. But it has to be said, we looked awful. There's no... There doesn't seem to be any sort of identity in our play. Teams seem to have worked out how good Onana is on the ball now. They just let him have it. And and their pressing triggers are our centre-backs instead of Onana now. Um Couple positives, so I will have to say Johnny Evans did look good, didn't he? 35 years old, makes his first start, and you're right, everyone was slagging off um the fact that he he even had to start the game. Um, but he looked really good, obviously got the disallowed goal, correct decision in my opinion, that it was ruled out, and then that that left footed ping to Bruno Fernandez and Bruno Fernandez goal was absolutely sensational. But the problem with United at the minute is it seems like we need an absolutely world-class thing to happen from one or two of our players to even get a chance or score. There doesn't seem to be any identity. Um, it was a poor game, to be honest, and United were poor, but we won 1-0, and that's all I have to say about it. Let's move on. 
And that's the problem at Manchester United. It's <laughs> culture being created by armchair fans. Look, you've gone out to Germany in the middle of the week and had a really difficult 4-3 loss to Bayern Munich. You've then gone to Turf Moor on a Saturday night against the Burnley team who would have earmarked that as a really good opportunity for three points. All the fans would have been up for it. You've gone in with a makeshift, a completely makeshift back four. It wasn't just Johnny Evans. You'd probably say Wambasaka, Shaw, Varane and Martinez is the first choice back four. None of them were um, there slash starting. You've also got Hannibal, who's playing in a really focal position of number 10, who actually had a really good game. And to be solid enough to keep a clean sheet and to produce the quality and the clarity in that finish that Bruno Fernandes and that move to win the game 1-0, I think is cause for a real positivity. And being a Man United fan, we all know there's going to there's underlying issues that sometimes surface on the pitch, and there'll be plenty of times this season to be negative about Man United. But going to Burnley, away from home, in the Premier League, and picking up three points with that team is not one of them. And if I was a Man United player now, I'd be thinking, if we can't get a bit of positivity after that, when can we? Laura, can I come in, though, quickly? We've gone to Burnley, a team who are 19th, 18th in the league, who are struggling, haven't won a game all season. And Why are you talking about that, though? It's six games in. But just listen, but just listen. And, and I think they had 71% possession. So we've gone there and had 29%. We're Manchester United Football Club. I know that's a meme of saying all the pundits and people saying we are Manchester United Football Club. But... And do you know what? A sign I thought of how bad things are at United at the minute is how good I thought Hannibal was. And the only reason why I thought he was good was because he showed a lot of energy. He showed a lot of heart. He got himself stuck in. And he, obviously a couple moments of quality as well. But that's the bare minimum. Do you know what I mean? Every single player should be putting in a performance, putting in a shift, putting in 110%. McTominay, he looked off it. He looked awful. I don't know. There's something about him in a United shirt that just doesn't fit. He just doesn't he doesn't look like he wants to be there. Rashford, his, he is our best player, Rashford, or our most um, attacking threat. But he looks... His his body language just is so negative. And it just easy, it does piss you off as a United fan because he just looks like he doesn't want to be there. And he's just signed a 350 grand a week, five-year deal. Um yeah, look, maybe I shouldn't have gone in on them so much then, but... yeah, No, no, it's done now. And I think aside from personal attacks on the likes of Scott McTominay and Marcus Rashford, young men trying to make their way in the footballing world, a lot of the things you said are room for positivity. You've gone there and had, what was it, 29% possession and won with a makeshift team. Imagine if you had gone there with Shaw, Varane, Martinez, Wambasaka, and you maybe could have implemented your game a little bit more. No, it was needs must and you got three points. You will have, I trust me, being a Man United fan, you will have plenty of time where you're more than within your rights to slate everything about it because they are useless. But I just think Saturday night was not one of them. You don't want those players going out there and producing three points for the football club and then just being picked apart by an angry Tigo on Monday evening because you haven't had 75% possession. Fair? Uh, Let's move on. I I haven't really got much to add, to be honest. Yeah, we'll move on. I will just say on United that... And I've been as negative as anyone, probably more negative than than you, Tomo, on the pod so far, but... Varane back into training. Martinez rested as precaution, I believe. Mason Mount back into training. Amrabat back into training and in the squad. Um, Palace at home in the cup. Palace at home in the league. 
Galatasaray at home in the Champions League, Brentford at home in the league, Sheffield United away in the league, Copenhagen at home in the Champs League. We could suddenly be sat here in a month's time at the end of October and we've just had six winnable fixtures in a row in the Cup and League and have most of our squad back in and we could be having a completely different conversation. But that's a big but because our performances don't look like we're going to go and put a run of six, seven games together. But just to look at the other side of the coin, let's just give it a few more games. Let's get some of these players back into the squad uh, and let's see let's see how we do with a, a more settled side. But Can I just say something, Murph? Um, there was a, a tweet that went out and got viral yesterday and it was Amrabat stats versus Burnley. And it was zero goals, zero assists, zero duels won, zero aerial duels won, zero chances created, zero accurate passes, and zero tackles won. Terrible performance on his debut. He played six minutes at left back. I think Teagal created that tweet. And that is everything that's wrong with Manchester United at the moment. And you wonder why you'll find yourself in such negative ruts. Three yeah, points. Well done. I think, I think I saw that tweet. If Tomo, if you are running CFC Janty's account, then yeah, <laughs> serious question marks. But uh no, I did see that. That's just Twitter all over, isn't it? Um, right. So from one Man United, uh, sorry, from one Manchester club to another. So uh, Man City, probably the most routine victory, two 0 against Notts Forest, but maybe a potential little defining moment in the coming upcoming weeks and games for Man City is that Rodri got caught up in an incident with um, Tomo's boy Gibbs White and grabbed him by the throat. Um, and will now serve a free game suspension, I think, which will see him miss the Arsenal game, accumulating in missing the Arsenal game, which is obviously a big fixture coming up for City. Um, Rodri's been nothing but a shining light in the in the English football game for a couple of years now. This pod kind of raves about him, but complete moment of madness, Tomo. No, no, no. I, it's not a red card. I, like It's an absolute joke that that's a red card. And the I tell you now, the only reason why that's a red card is because Casemiro got sent off against Palace last season for exactly the same sort of incident where you just you put your hands on a player. But the reality is, you can take a snapshot of that and it looks like he's getting strangled, but he didn't. He just put his hands up there. Like it's not a red card to me. It's ridiculous. I know it gives the ref a decision to make and the VAR a decision to make, so it is probably stupid. But it's not a red card for me. Um, um, but I guess well, one of those things in it, but that's definitely not a red for me. Not no way in hell. No, if only you had that same energy supporting and defending your own football club, maybe it'd be a happier place to be a Man United fan. But I think the big point about that is, um, I don't know if they're appealing it, but will that go down as violent conduct? In which case, I think it'd be a three match ban, and one of the games would be Arsenal that he misses. Yeah, we need we need something to handicap them, don't we? We need something because otherwise, it's just. Yeah, can I can I just Sorry, say yeah before that red card and actually in the first half City looked absolutely world class like and there's going to be a moment this season where they just beat someone ten 0 or something because it's all going to click because they looked unbelievable for Phil Foden's goal I think there was forty six passes before which mm. is and Phil Foden's goal was an absolute joke Rodri's clip over the top I thought Carl Walker might shoot himself and he's somehow seen. Phil Foden behind him and Phil Foden's finished well. It was unbelievable and they looked really good. Um, obviously, the red card sort of evened things out a bit and Forrest looked good in the second half. Um, but yeah, comfortable win in the end for City. Six out of six, sort of, it's scary. It's scary hours for the rest of the Prem. 
bit of an embarrassment, embarrassing dive from your man Morgan Gibbs White as well. Didn't need to go down like that, did he? What for the for the red card? For the, for the red card. Yeah, no, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. But Rodri, obviously, City for for giving the ref the, a decision to make. But I just don't think that they should be red cards. But it is what it is. Well, he was sent off. I don't think when stuff like that gets slowed down, as we spoke about, and um, put into still photos, that he's going to get anything out of an appeal. And an appeal, you risk another further ban, which would be against Brighton. So I don't think Pep's going to do that. From what I've been seeing today, Pep's angry about Rodri for even doing it, getting himself into that situation when you're 2-0 up against Forrest at home. Couldn't really be much more comfortable. And yeah, Bit of a, a fiery side to Rodri, clearly. Um, right, so rest of the Premier League, just to round up, guys. So Brighton uh, beat Bournemouth 3-1. So went 1-0 down after a goalkeeper mistake in Solanke. But Matoma off the bench uh, with his first brace for Brighton to win 3-1. And their good start continues, albeit lost in the uh, in the cut, in the uh, Euro- Europa League. Uh, Luton won, Wolves won. So Pedro Neto scored. Carlton Morris uh, equalised to make it one all. But Luton desperately needed a win against ten men. Wolves there. Go can on. I just, can I just have a quick little stat about that um, Wolves game? Pedro Neto's goal. Yeah. So Wolves have scored six goals in the Premier League this season. Pedro Neto scored one of them, and he's assisted four. Like apps, like he's so important to that team that if he gets injured, they are screwed. But. You- you know how you've had like Jota go to Liverpool or Trossard go to Arsenal? Could you just see Pedro Neto going to like a one of like an Arsenal or a Tottenham or a a decent side like that? He just strikes me as that sort of level of player, like a Trossard Jota, to get a move like that. Yeah, he's a good, he's a really good player. I think I think he got injured last season, didn't he? So he was injured for quite a lot, but. He started the season really well, and it's just so important to that team. Obviously, we spoke a lot about Wolves not being able to score, etc. Um, so and he he just needs to stay fit, and then they might have a chance. But yeah, um, poor game really. They were down to ten men, and dour result for both sides. They both needed a win there, and then the final game, uh, Palace nil, Fulham nil. Uh, not even going to give that the light of day. Must have been absolutely terrible to be at Salas Park. Boys, we're going to move on to the championship. Probably only one place to start. Uh, are we going that... to apologise to the? Are we going to apologise to the Brighton fans that blew Bournemouth away yesterday? Or oh, I, did, I just spoke about Matoma's magic. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Is that all we get? Matoma's magic. Move on to the championship. All right. Sorry, Seagulls. I thought that was an impressive victory yesterday. <laughs> yeah. To be honest. I did think we probably should have covered that more than United at Burnley, but it was on TV, so I, I did give that. All right, get yourself down to the EFL then. Sorry, Brighton fans. Uh, yeah, so move on to the EFL. And Laura, I was about to say only one place to start. Uh, Leeds 3-0 winners uh, must be purring with their goals, the manager and just the general feel at the club at the minute. Yeah, when you said one place to start, I thought we were going to go to Home Park. So apologies, Plymouth fans. Apparently, you <laughs> hitting a very, very good Norwich side for six um, doesn't quite combat Leeds United, who start the EFL topic every week. But yeah, it's exactly what I, I, I've always I've been saying at Leeds, isn't it? I think everything that I've said so far is coming true. Daniel Farker, we gave him more just in September. We look absolutely class. All the players are quality. He's got them playing really, really well. Uh, Phil Hay, who's our sort of chief. 
um, or that, you know, the, the journalist that covers leads that people pay most attention to, he's really, really impressed. And he doesn't normally mince his words. He just said after the Watford game, really genuinely good side we've got here. And um, what the standout at the weekend, I thought Piro scored again, but Jorginho Rata, he's starting to look like the £30 million player we bought for the Premier League. And if you get a chance, I don't know if you've seen the goals, if you get a chance to have a look at them and his skill and the, his, he's got this trademark sort of spin under pressure and turn into space and start setting up chances, he looks really, really special. And I just, it's a good job that the likes of Leicester and Ipswich have got, a, I think, a seven or eight, nine point advantage on us Ooh. because they're going to need it. We're coming and I, for me, we should be favourites for the league because that is one very, very, very good championship outfit ran by a very, very astute manager. Yeah, Laurel, actually, I wanted to ask you about one of your players, um, one of your most impressive players on on the weekend. Dan James got two assists. Mm. He's got, mm. he tops the championship for most assists in the league this season before. He's um, only started five games, so that's a great return for him. Obviously, coming from Man United, so a bit of a Man United interest for me. How, how has he looked this season? Well, I think the championship is his level, really. He's a very good championship player, isn't he? And the only reason Man United signed him in the first place is because they knew that Marcelo Bielsa wanted him for Leeds. I think he was at Ellen Road or Thorpe Arch having all the pitches taken, holding up a Leeds shirt. And then uh, Swansea called it off at the last minute because Man United wanted him in the summer. He went to Man United and obviously your coaching setup weren't good enough to produce him and, and, and sort of uh, bring him on as a player. So he came back to Leeds and look, we loaned him back to Fulham last year. I don't think he's a Premier League player and he's, he's not even someone that would start for us this year, I don't think, if everyone was fully fit. Um, but having said that, you are right. He is producing some assists this season. His pace is scary and he's always going to be a threat. So whether he starts or whether he comes off the bench in the championship, he's a very good option to have. Um, not my favourite Leeds United player, but yeah, credit where it's due. He's uh, he started OK. So moving on, guys, in the championship, uh, Plymouth Norwich were on my list, but weren't next. Uh, Ipswich had a 4-3 win. Uh, at home to Blackburn. So maintain their good start. Uh, another win for Kieran McKenna. Uh, they're now joint top with Leicester, who won 1-0 against Bristol City. Uh, Tomo, did you... Uh, I'm sure you would have tweeted about it, actually. Jamie Vardy scored a penalty and then ran the length of the pitch to celebrate in front of the Bristol City fans. Yeah, I saw that proper Adebayor moment, wasn't it? Apparently, the the Bristol City fans were doing um doing his wife, like... A bit giving his wife a bit of stick basically all game. So kudos to him for doing that. I actually just wanted to touch on Ipswich because obviously Kieran McKenna, their manager, we spoke about them in a previous podcast. Um, seven wins and one defeat this season. The one defeat coming against Leeds, I believe. Um, they look like a really good team. They've got this, um, they basically top the table for XG stats. So obviously playing uh, attacking free flowing football, got the four goals. Against um against Blackburn on the weekend and showed a lot of character to get the the winner in the end. Um, Nathan Broadhead looking good, got four goals and um got an assist in the championship so far, and obviously scored a great goal against Blackburn. And they've got loads of players who seem to be chipping in with goals and assists. They've got Amari Hutchinson on loan from Chelsea, who's looking good. I think he's coming off the bench in most games. And then Leif Davis, Leif Davis um, one of the most creative players in the championship this season. He's averaging three chances every 90 minutes. So he's made um, 21 chances in the seven games that he's played. So 
They're looking really good. Obviously, Kieran McKenna, the worry, the big worry for them, I guess, would be if, is if a Premier League team decide to sack their manager and come in for him because obviously he's he's looked he's really impressed since he's gone into management from Man United. Yeah, stunning. Add that to your Preston segment last week. It we had Preston corner, but that Ipswich piece was was brilliant. Sublime, Tigo. Sublime. Uh, Do you know where so... Lee Davis plays, Tigo? No. Left back, ex Leeds. Glad to see that uh, he's impressing you in the championship this season. <laughs> <laughs> so a uh, win for McKenna and also a win for Michael Carrick as well. So they won 2-1 against Southampton. Another loss for Russell Martin. We've always spoke about him in, in late. Both sides needed the win, but it was Middlesbrough who got all three, uh, hoping that Carrick can uh, pick up a few more wins now and start to move up through the table for them. Um, and then there was a mid-table fixture between Plymouth and Norwich as well, which I think finished 6-2 or something like that, but not much to speak about there. Um, oh, for the Morgan it, Whitaker's hat-trick. Yeah, well, well done, Morgan. Uh, bit of Monday Night Football, actually, tonight, boys. Coventry versus Huddersfield. Is it? Is Warnock gone now? I know that they were bringing Darren, Darren Moore. Is yeah. he in now? Yeah, he's in. So, uh, yeah, I think both sides down near the bottom, but a Monday, bit of Monday night football if anyone needs their... Can, can we can we touch on Hull? You can. You can bring you can touch on Rossini's men if you want to, Tomo. Clearly more to say. Yeah, loads of research done here. Um, no, they, they're seven unbeaten in the league. I think they're fourth now. Um, they lost their first two games of the season against Norwich and against Doncaster in the EFL Cup, but they haven't lost since. Um they're, they're really outperforming their stats. I, I had a look. They're basically mid-table for most of their XG stats. So they're doing really well. Obviously, we spoke about Liam Rossini. He was a really impressive individual. Um, I think he was a pundit, wasn't he? An EFL pundit last year or the year before. And he just speaks really well. They've got Aaron Connolly, the former Brighton lad. Um, he's a joint top goal scorer in the championship with five goals. Um, and they're the only team in the league to beat Leicester this season. So... Um, fair play to the Tigers. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, fair play to the Tigers. We're getting there. We're getting there. We are. We <laughs> the research only goes so far. Liam Rossini was appointed as Philip Cocku's special advisor about four years ago at Derby. Then spent time as assistant managers to Wayne Rooney. Then was actually Derby's manager for a little bit before being taken by Hull. So. Um, a little bit longer off of EFL coverage, but he was a very good pundit who does speak very well. And it's always interesting to see how that translates from the TV into management. It didn't work for Gary Neville very well. It didn't work for Chris Hargreaves, Jovel's manager at the start of last year. So it's nice to see Liam Rossinia, um gaining some plaudits from some diehard EFL fans like Tiga. Well, Tiga, if it's any consolation, when I saw that Rossinia was in charge of Oh, I thought it was Leroy, who's Liam's dad. So, <laughs> don't too much. I was well off it. Uh, but yeah, great start for them. I think actually, it, it probably should have mentioned them a bit more up into fourth now, albeit five points behind uh, Preston. And then you've got Ipswich and Leicester. But that is a great start for them. And Sunderland obviously lost to to Cardiff, who are in a fifth and seventh position, sandwich and lead. So yeah, great start for Hull. Um, Boys, any more championship sides before that we've done research on before I move on? No. Grant, we'll move on to League One then. So uh, Oxford, I think it was second versus fourth, wasn't it? We said Oxford beat Exeter 3-0. Another really top display from them and uh, big three points uh, towards the top of the table. 
Uh, top of the table, Portsmouth uh, 1-2-1 at home to Lincoln. Uh, our boy Paul Warren went and won away at Carlisle. Massive result for Derby. So, uh, yeah, a bit more pressure off of Paul and, and buzzing for him and the boys. But um, bit of a result that I saw, which was a big game in that league. Uh, Bolton versus Peterborough. Drew one all, but both of those sides are just starting to fall away from the playoff set um, positions there. Peterborough, a side who I was expecting to be up there. Um, Lauro, any thoughts on that game in particular? No, not really. I was I've been looking at um, Bolton fans' replies to like the official club account tweets, and they're not very happy. But Ian Everts done a good job there, and he sort of had them right up there last season and I think they were I think they're still favourites to win the league now um, so maybe it's just a case of their mentality is we should be winning the league and they're seeing clubs like Portsmouth and Oxford win every week and then falling away that can get a little bit frustrating at times but I, I'd expect to see them up there um, and as far as Peterbos go I, I mean I'm, they're a bit weird in the summer they transfer listed all their best players including Johnson Clark-Harris who's been the top scorer for the last few years yeah. he scored at the weekend's um, I think they were trying to offload into Bristol Rovers that fell through on deadline day. So really weird one on Peterborough. Normally they're a club that like to buy sort of attacking players, don't they, from um, from lesser clubs. But they brought in Shiamanga on a permanent in the summer and loaded him straight out to Fleetwood. So a bit of a, a weird transitional period maybe for Peterborough, but they're still eighth. So they're, they're always up there, aren't they, in League One? It wouldn't surprise me if they were in the playoffs again. Yeah, and then Tomo, uh, Barnsley went and won away at Northampton. A uh, particular goal scorer stood out there, Devante Cole, uh, son of former Man United legend Andy Cole. Any stats for us on him? Scored nine in his last nine games. Um, so obviously doing well in that league. Um, big up Andy Cole. Yeah. Andy Cole, he scores goals. Yeah, yeah. A sun cut from the same cloth, albeit a couple divisions lower. Uh, and then actually should mention as well, Stevenage, who are right up there as well, I think in third place. Uh, they went away to Cheltenham uh, and won 3-0. And I think Cheltenham now have set a new record, Tomo. Yeah, nine games, zero goals, new record for that league. Or might might even be a new record for the, for the whole of the EFL. But yeah, absolute... Nightmare start to the season for them, but and it looks it's looking like straight back to League Two. Yeah, that looks like that that form looks like they've not got a hope in hell of even getting out of that. Albeit looking at it, they're only five or six points off uh, off getting out of it. But yeah, that's abstract and no goals in in those games. Boys, we quickly move on to League Two then. So Notts County, uh, top of the table, four uh, three win against Forest Green. Uh, their great start to the season continues, but Troy Deeney went and scored a hat trick for Forest Green. Um, I thought he'd retired, but fair enough, Troy. Uh, well done on bagging a hatty. Um, but yeah, Notts County, obviously, one side we spoke about who came up, Wrexham the other. Wrexham had Stockport, and we previewed actually. I think Stockport had won their last three, uh, and Wrexham hadn't lost since the opening game of the season against uh, MK Dons. But Loro, bit of a rout for Stockport. Yeah, they're a good side though, Stockport. At the start of the season, I think I, I think I had them in Gillingham going up, and their manager Dave Chandler, all he does is get promoted. So he started off in like Ireland or Wales or something like that, and got someone promoted. Then he went to Fylde in non-league, and I think he got them promoted two or three times. Then he went to Hartlepool and got them promoted. Now he's at Stockport and he got them promoted, and it wouldn't put it past him to get promoted again this year. 
Um, and as for Wrexham, they've got that in them. They've got that in even in the conference, they'd have games where they sort of well, not got hit for five, but would win sort of five, four, four, three here and there. So it doesn't surprise me if they come up against a good side and they're having an off day that they can ship that many. But uh, I saw another goal for Paddy, the evergreen Paddy Madden in that one as well, who's adding to his EFL top, uh, to his EFL goal scoring stats. And I would have thought he's probably right up there with uh, one of the highest EFL scorers now because he's been doing that for about 10 years. So good to see him still notching away. Here's one for you, Murph, as well, actually. I wanted to ask you a question. Um, which former Barcelona player um, scored a brilliant individual goal for Stockport against Wrexham? He scored six goals and made two assists in League Two for Stockport this season. And he's on loan from Aston Villa. Oh. What, what, is he played for Barcelona? Uh, he's probably played for their B team. Oh, mate, I've not got a clue. Go on. Louis Barry. And his, his his performances this season for Stockport have been so good that Villa are considered. He's on a season long loan there from Villa, and Villa are considering um, recalling him in January. I don't know whether that will be to play for them or to potentially get him another loan at a step above because he looks he, he's looking like he's too good for that league at the minute. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking back through his career journey. He was in. West Brom under 18s in 2018-19, then went through the Villa Academy before going to Ipswich. So it must have been really early his uh, stint in Barcelona. And Louis Barry doesn't sound all that Catalonian, does it? So, uh, yeah, fair enough. And then... Are you sure about that one, Tigo? I have to see his time at Barca. I'm just going to send you, boys, a picture of him in a Barcelona shirt. Oh, that's that then. He played for Barca. Well, okay. Well, he did. <laughs> well, don't, don't I had know. a, I had a, I had a Barcelona shirt with Clybert on the back, but I didn't play out front. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Right. He signed for Barcelona from West Brom. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, good luck to Louis Barry. And if he, if they're thinking about recalling him, then that's a big jump up from League Two to Prem back to Villa. But uh, yeah. Fair play to him. Uh, other games from League Two. So Gillingham, actually, who were set in an early pace, lost versus Doncaster. Um, Doncaster showing just how good Beto's performance was a couple of weeks ago in the Cup. Uh, Mansfield in third, one versus Barrow. Uh, and Crawley won versus Grimsby. So, yeah, most of the teams up at the top there uh, keep setting the pace. But, yeah, losses for Wrexham and Gillingham at the weekend. But Swindon, Crew, and randomly Wimbledon uh, are up there. Uh, Laura, I'm sorry, I'll quickly come to you. Sorry to put you on the spot. I hadn't seen that Wimbledon were doing that well. Do you know who their assistant manager is? Is he ex-Oval? Yeah. No. Terry Skiverton. Terry ah. Skiverton is the assistant manager to Johnny Jackson at Wimbledon. And yes, they have had a good start. And they've got jo- Josh Nerfield up front. And they've got James Tilly, who we had on loan under Darren Soul a couple of years ago. And he's the second top scorer in the league, I think. So, yeah. Um Glad that Wimbledon got a shout out. They've had a good start to the season. Can I just, I know that not many people watch this on YouTube, right? But T-Girls just sent us a picture of Louis Barry in a Barcelona shirt. Might not be able to see it because um, I've blurred out my background. But when you were asked whether he actually played for the Barcelona first team, it doesn't exactly look like the new Camp in the background to me. <laughs> no, but he did play for Barcelona, didn't he? Yeah, just, he did. Just the under-19 team. In 2019 to 2020, he did play for Barcelona in their youth career. So apologies to Tegal. But yeah, he's had some loans, Ipswich, Swindon, MK Don, Salford and now Stockport. So he's obviously making waves now. 
Uh, right, boys, we're going to finish up as we normally do with uh, Yeovil Town. So, Laura, you went up to uh, Richmond at the weekend, drove up, and uh, again, all three. Yeah, lovely place, Richmond. Normally, you go to like these, not to be disrespectful to every other town in England, but you go to these places and you think, how on earth do people live here? But I could live in Richmond. That was a lovely little place. <laughs> that was a lovely little place driving through those alleys. And there was a nice pub there called The World's End, um, which we sat in and watched Woking York. And unfortunately, York won 2-1. So, uh, yeah, Matt Agler got the better of uh, Darren So in that one. But, um, yeah, it was probably it was probably our best performance of the season for Yeovil, but it was probably also the worst team that we'd played, I think. Um, a couple of ex-Yeovil boys in there, Jake Gray and Ben Seymour, played for, for Hampton and Richmond. And up until about the 60th, maybe 70th minute, it was just full control. We probably should have been about 5-0 up at half-time. Um, didn't materialise, and then the ref just made it all about him and just started booking everyone. Jake Hyde came on as a substitution and got sent off within about five minutes. Um, and then at the end, I think Matt Worthington was a judge to have handballed it in the box, and he gave it as a denial of the goal-scoring opportunity. And gave Hampton and Richmond a penalty, which they scored. But luckily, I think that was in like the 97th minute. So um, another win. And for the first time this season, Yeovil are now favourites to win the league. So that's that's obviously that's the third win in a row, isn't it, for Yeovil? I've just had a look yeah. at our fixtures. Um, our next league game at home to Avely, who are third. Yeah. Then, then the next one after that, albeit it might get rearranged, is Bath City, who are first. Uh, yep. It probably will get rearranged because of the FA Cup. And then the, the next game after that is Worthing, who are fourth. Yeah. So if you get through those couple of fixtures and you win them, then all of a sudden Yeovil might start running away with the league. But they're tif- difficult games, aren't they? Difficult games. Yeah, you're right. October's a massive month for us in terms of those fixtures. And the last game of that month is uh, our friends from Dorset, Weymouth, visit Hewish Park on the on the 24th of October as well. So massive month. Um, Worthing in particular are a very good team. And the thing about playing some of these sides away is that they've got these plastic pitches. Um, and the two losses we've had this season have been away from home on the plastic pitches and we just seem to crumble on them. So that'll be a big, big game. So yeah, hopefully we can beat Averley week Saturday and maybe go top and then we'll we'll approach that Worthing fixture with uh, yeah everything we've got, and that'll be the biggest game of the season so far. But you're right; if we can get through it, we could be uh, we could be HMS piss the league set and sell. Yeah, and just a quick gone, just a quick one on the um, the FA Cup game against Didcot. They're they're in the division below, are they? Um, in the relegation zone, so it looks like we'll smash them as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully we can get to the first round proper and maybe start a run and see how good we are against some of the football league sides. But I think when you're at this level, the monetary side of the FA Cup comes into it. And um, yeah, Yobo are giant killers. We've got a good history of that, haven't we? It'd be nice if we can get another big name down to Hewish Park at some point. But yeah, a while to go. I will say, though, this is the lowest we've ever started in the FA Cup. It's so annoying. Like The league is so disjointed because every other week is an FA Cup game because we're playing these teams because we're in like the... I don't know, whatever preliminary round it is. So the actual FA Cup, I don't think, starts till November and we're having to play all these games. That's one bugbear of being this low, but we've only got ourselves to blame. Yeah, well, hopefully we do get through to the first round. We went and watched them be Newport pre-season, didn't we? And we looked level above them and they're make they're all right starting league two actually they're they're sat in 15th place so um yeah but obviously onwards and upwards for the Glovers I didn't realize quite how big a month October was looking like so uh yeah be interested to see the performances and hear about the performances from you Laura 
Uh, boys, that's all we've got time for. We'll wrap up there. We'll be back on Thursday where we'll review the kind of key action from the Carabao Cup games and preview the weekend action. But as always, a pleasure. Speak to you both soon. Cheers, boys. One, two, three.